mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode 37, and Ruth is back from the beach. Welcome back, Ruth. Woohoo! And we are going to talk about some statistics and probability. I have finished my second to last class. I think more people are tuning in because they are so excited to hear about <laughs> statistics I, and probability. I'm sure that is the truth. I'm sure they're like, oh, that one, that's the title I want to do. <laughs> Shut up. This is going to be our it's most be searched title on the website. <laughs> it's going to be gonna, awesome. What's that one about probability and statistics? Yeah. My favorite. Yeah. So we're going to, uh, we're going to just be amazed, guys. Actually, I'm really excited, <laughs> to be honest. Um, before we do that, though, I think we need to make, take a minute to appreciate new teachers. That's what I have to say about, about life right now. And here's why I'm saying that, because... I am three days into um, my new job, or this is the fourth day into my new job. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's it's the end of July. I know we're going to hear this probably in August, but it's the end of July, and I'm on fourth day back at work. I am not complaining at all because I'm thrilled to have this new job of um, instructional coach. However, I'm drowning already. <laughs> and, like, I am so – that whole idea of drinking from a fire hose, you know, like right. there is so much information coming at me so fast. The people around me kind of know what's going on and I'm like kind of trying to catch up. Even if they don't know what's going on, they're used to this time of like being just inundated with yeah. stuff, welcome back stuff. Yeah. And, and it's different in this position, you know, all the stuff that – like has happened over the summer that all of a sudden you have to be at least aware of and right. have to and have to administer and yeah. the, the position I had at, at Lynchburg State Schools was similar. We'd come back and like, all right, you've been gone for a month. Here's all the bajillion things you missed and have to know for tomorrow. Exactly. So I I I want the the focus not to be on the fact that I don't. I'm kind of losing it here, but the fact that t- new teachers are gonna feel the same way. When they walk into the building, you know, like all this stuff gets thrown at them that everybody else has known for a while. And they're just like, I just wanted to set up my classroom. Can I please put up some posters? You know, <laughs> like that's what I feel like because my room is a hot mess. Um, and so when they come back in a couple weeks, bless them. And um, yeah. What's what was what's your memory of your first? Why are you laughing at me? Because I just am thinking about. The stuff that I probably heard, but I couldn't drink it. Yeah, that first week and yeah. field trips. I still remember. I didn't know that you were supposed to call a bus oh. and order a bus <laughs> when you had a field trip. So I planned the field trip, and we were just going somewhere in Lynchburg. Yeah, I didn't call buses. <laughs> I didn't know that was something you were supposed to do. Yeah. I'm sure I got told at the beginning of the school year, but who's thinking about field trips? Yeah. And at that point, it's April, and so I was an experienced teacher, right? I should know that <laughs> by I've April. I've been teaching for six months. <laughs> so I have all the kids. We have them all lined up. Oh, gosh. And there's no buses. And the principal's like, when did you order them? Order? <laughs> 
What does that mean? <laughs> so anyways, she called. The buses came. We had our field trip. Oh. Fast forward two weeks into a faculty meeting where the whole school's there. I would like to just make an announcement that when you have a field trip, you have to order buses. <laughs> Everyone around you says, duh. Exactly. <laughs> she goes, right, Ruth? <laughs> <laughs> Why are we? Th- I mean, I just remember feeling like, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. I totally get it. Do you have a Do you have a first week of school memory, Jay? I nothing like that. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I also remember getting in trouble with the custodian because I had to move my desk, and so, so you just I just moved it. pushed it. Yeah, and I, he like was lightning man in my room saying, "We do not push stuff on these floors." Uh, Yikes! Oh, well, would you like to help me move this? Your desk is heavy. Exactly. That's why I was. <laughs> That's why I was shoving it. it. That's funny. So. I remember my, my. It has nothing. It's not really impressive at all. My first week story. Yeah. But I had come into. I was teaching at a high school, and they had off of the band slash course room, depending on which part of the day it was, was our office, and there was this this old yucky like built in furniture on the wall of the office where there's like all kinds of shelves and drawers and there's one drawer that you know it was a huge drawer and you pull it out and it was like chock full of boxes of paper clips and staples (laughs) and i remember thinking what goes on here that they need seven million staples and paper like I have to this day, I don't think you can go to Staples and you won't see that many paper clips and staples in one place. I was just blown away thinking, what, what is, what is going like on here? Sounds like a three act task waiting to happen. Right. <laughs> it just was counting collections. Yeah. And the, the band director and, and I were both new that year. So we, it was like, we didn't know any, we, I mean, she, we were just like new to the the school and everything, and yeah. so we were like trying to figure out stuff together. And and I just remember it was. Did they stay there all year? Are they still there? The paper clips. And I mean, I used paper clips, so I think I used like one box of a hundred, and there was like fifty more of those boxes still it's in the just drawer. The, that's every time they got their hundred dollar of supply money. That's what they yeah. spend it on every single time. Oh, I need more paper clips. I need more paper clips because no, I forgot where I, I put them. <laughs> In this giant drawer that I probably probably couldn't open the drawer. It was too heavy to open and they couldn't figure out where their paper clips were. So all that to say, appreciate the new people in your building and remember what it felt like and, you know, give them some grace when they forget the bus. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right. So shall we talk about these? Let's go. Statistics and probability. Let's just do it. Let's do it. Rip the bandaid off. Yep. (laughs) That's awesome, guys. It's going to be great. Um. So I wanted to start by saying what our two textbooks were, since we're in this um, vein of our summer book series, right? There there were two books that we had in this course. Um, one was, and both are NCTM books, and I'm, I'm forever looking at the NCTM books because there's so many, and they're not cheap, and you're like, am I really going to use that? So I'm hoping that if somebody has had that thought that this will help you, like, get some more idea about what particular series are about. Okay. And before you spend the 20 or 40 or $60 that those books are, yeah, they're expensive. Um, the developing mathematical ideas 
is a series and those are case books. Okay. And these are, as far as I can tell, fairly new. Like this one's to, I'm looking at the modeling with data one. Of course, we'll put all this in our show notes. Um, but it was, it was copyright 2018. So they're new books. And, and it, you can tell that like they, they doesn't feel dated to me as I read it. Um, and each, each chapter. So I think there are, from I did a little research and I think there are seven books that are in this series. Like this is the, you know, statistics one, there's algebra one, there's operations one there. I think, sorry, did I say six? I think there are seven, six others, but the way these book, and we've used several of them in our classes, the way these books are laid out is that there's just an introduction to the chapter about, it's a very short introduction. And then it has three or four or five cases after that. Um, that has to do with that particular chapter topic. Okay. And so by cases, and this is something I'd never heard of before I started my, like my classes. And I don't think you had either, because I was explaining this to you on our run many moons ago. Um, But a a real life teacher, (laughs) you know, has been working with this content and then he or she teaches a lesson and then it's like a reflection of their lesson it's kind of like what we do on a run you know mm-hmm. um and the the pages like the cases are numbered by line so it's really it's clearly meant for people to discuss it for we're going to read this case and then we're going to talk about what did the teacher say what did the teacher ask what did the students do what do the students know okay. um and it's usually like some explanation and then some actual um, back and forth conversation. Like I always wonder how they write these cases. Do they take a tape recorder or a video or something of the entire lesson so they can remember it? Or do they kind of like fabricate the conversation based on what they can remember? Um, I'm but, sure there's some of both. Yeah. But, you know, there's always often there are examples of student work in here. Um, it's really just like. Here, going to plop down in this classroom and listen to a teacher who's deep in the trying to understand the content and how to best teach it. So I really like these books. They're easy to read. um, And there are lots of discussions that come out of them. And then I feel like, you know how that whole pedagogical content knowledge oh hold on jay i'm getting a little nerdy here but you know how like just now yeah thanks (laughs) (laughs) you know how you (laughs) like realize that you can't it's really hard to build that until you've taught it right you know Mm -hmm. but i feel like this is one way that kind of approximates that because even if you've never taught or you've only taught it once you can hear the mistakes in in here from somebody else's students. You're not waiting for the first time you teach it to hear your mistakes or the kids' mistakes. That's yeah, like you're, sense? you are gaining your experience vicariously through one of these people that yeah, has done it and exactly. recounted the whole process. Exactly. So, and I know that we're reading five practices, and that's coming next week. Mm-hmm. But that's the first practice is to be able to identify what mistakes a student will make Mm. when you present them with this task. Mm -hmm. That's a whole lot more lesson planning than I've ever done. Mm. Yeah. And so to have access to a book like that where I could read about a task that would potentially happen and see the mistakes, that would help me get to that point. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. She just, she talks a lot about how important it is to not just know what you're going to do, but also know what you think the outcome could be mm-hmm. and where are you going to go if this is your outcome. Yeah. And I have to plan that outcome for each student because it's not going to be the same because not every student's going to solve it. So right. I could definitely see the merit in having access to case studies where, mm-hmm. you know, and are there actual tasks in there? Like, do you know? Well, you, they are talking about tasks every time. Okay. So it doesn't like, here's the page that you can copy out of the book and it's the task. But I have taken things that I've learned from these. Like, so last year we'd had other classes mm-hmm. and I have used the tasks from these, some of these case books. Okay. So Yeah. Yeah, I think there are definitely things that you could just be like, oh, that was good. And now I know what to expect. I'm going to try that. Yeah. Um, so the other book that we got is from the Navigations series. Oh, let me say that this one is feels. Which when you say this one, you physically switch books in your hand, but make sure we know. Which yeah. Book okay. Back about. to the first one. It's. I I couldn't exactly find figure it out, but I think that these are mainly elementary, the casebook ones. Okay, okay. like uh, I mean, I think there are some sixth grade. I've read some that are higher than that, but it, there's no like clearly marked what grade level it's supposed to be. But a lot of it goes back and forth: first grade, fourth grade, sixth grade, like that. Okay, but this navigation series is older. It clearly looks older. <laughs> Pictures on the front are a little dated. Um, this series has 35 books in it, and they are leveled. Like, there are K1, 2, 3, 5, um, got the 6, 8, and then there's high school. So that's why there's so many, because there are there's apparently, like, mm. levels all the way up and down. Um, and this was um, published in 2003. It is also from NCTM. Um, and the way that this works is they again have a, so we're looking, sorry, navigating through probability in grades six through eight. That's the one that we got because this course was statistics and probability, but mostly statistics. It was only last week, probability. Um, again, it has like an introduction to a particular topic that, you know, trying to fill in the teacher's knowledge gap of, of the content. And then it goes into, um, like, activities. They use the word activity, but I would really call it, like, a lesson or a task um, that they kind of say, try this, and it just kind of talks you through. It's not, like, scripted or anything. It just kind of talks you through what they might experience. And, and hmm. then in the back are, like, the black line masters for the tasks. So we used this book, like, I'm looking at, you know, just whole pages of things. We use this book because these were the assignments that we got to work through ourselves. We didn't read the, like, explanation on this is what the kids are going to do. You know, this is what they're going to say. They assigned us here, this here in your small groups. Try this. And so that's where your probability game came from that we did with the bag. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure it's ex- it was definitely one of these, but the exact same kind of thing. Yes. And so it's, you know, like do this probability task and then here are the discussion questions that we want you to think about before you get together in a whole group. So if so, this book, I think, is helpful if there was a topic like a unit, a big a big idea where you are 
can say, I really don't know much about this particular topic, like measurement or fractions or I don't really know what the, how they're organized, and you knew you had a big weakness in that one, then you could buy this book and it would be full of the content and some teaching ideas. So that's a little bit tricky for me because as a teacher, I don't know that I would be able to identify what I don't know very much about. Mm, good point. So I'm getting ready to teach measurement. Yeah. Well, I know how to measure to the nearest 16th yeah. of an inch. And I know. And so there has to be some point, And maybe this is it. Like maybe this is the purpose of the podcast. You're going to hear things and walk away from this saying, oh, I don't know very much about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because I can't think of anything in sixth grade that I would say, oh, yeah, that's definitely my weakness. Well, is there one that you don't like to teach? Um, I don't think so. Like, I feel like geometry doesn't get taught. Okay. But I don't think it's because I don't know it. Okay. I think it's because yeah. computation and number sense is paramount. Right. Where I am, you yeah. know, so and it's just it's just not the focus of your particular pacing guide right. for your through your school. Were you going to say something, Jay, that we cut you off? I was going to say often I found out what I didn't know enough about when I started getting questions I couldn't answer. Mm. Yeah. Like I thought I knew enough to teach and then I would get questions about it. and I was like, oh, yeah, I don't really know. I'll have to go look that up or I have to go find that out or, you know, figure out I knew enough in, in like in my brain to explain it. But I didn't know enough to answer everybody's questions about it mm -hmm. from, you know, because they think about it differently. I would say I can think of two areas for myself. One is I've always hated teaching. Like we have to do in fourth grade. Well, this was fifth grade math. The beginning of like what is a variable and then writing expressions to go with a story and writing stories to oh. go with expressions. I know how to do that, but every time I had to teach it, I'd be like, oh, can we just skip this? <laughs> you know, because it, it's so hard to teach. It's hard for them to get it, you know? So that would be an area, like I guess the algebra book, if there exists an algebra book on this would be, which was what class I'm doing right now. Um, but then in science, because I taught sixth, fifth grade, fourth grade science last year, every time I got to the weather one, I was like, oh, here we go again. Oh, now see, I could totally identify that because I remember teaching fourth grade science. But I think the most important part about teaching that was that I was willing to reach out to someone and say, I have to teach maritime tropical and continental polar, and I don't even know what those mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I can read the words. definition to them. <laughs> yeah. But I don't understand what that means. And so, but then we have to realize that there are teachers who feel that way about math. Like, we've done the learning, you know, but there are mm -hmm. plenty of people that approach a topic in, in math and are like, uh, I got nothing. So that's where, you know, may, you may not pick this book as pretty meaty. You may not pick this book off the shelf. But, you know, perhaps we're talking to people who are the resource person in their building. And if you're also like, oh, I don't know, this would be a, a place to start. If you needed a whole unit, pick me up, I guess. Okay. So I hope that helps you know about two more series of books. So let's dive into statistics, guys. I'm so excited. <laughs> I've been waiting. Okay. All morning. 
So here's the bit, one of the things I learned first, which is that we, this is like about myself. We usually say, okay, we're going to do statistics. We have to basically, the we have to know what mean, medium, mode, and range are. And we have to know how to make these kinds of graphs. And we have to know to read these kinds of graphs, right? And we start there. However, we need to start all the way back at the question and having the question drive the, um, drive the making of the graph and the analyzing of the graph and everything and don't it should not be the teacher always making the question so we in one of the cases um they talked about the kids you know i'm assuming the teacher just was like what question do you what what do you want to investigate you know Mm -hmm. and she um the the kids said how many how many states have you visited that's the question they wanted to investigate okay so jay how many states have you visited come up with you know what do you think i have probably visited like driven through or hung out in exactly okay so thank you for walking right into my trap we didn't talk about this ahead of time (laughs) i do that all the time in my class all right i don't Um, get the answer i see how it is well, you don't really okay. care about the Wait, answer. Yeah, I'll come back. It's only how you get to it. You're exactly right. <laughs> no, I'll come back to you. Okay. So, so because I got to count. Okay. Yeah. So the te- the that's exactly the point of the whole case was that the team there was a little girl in the in the class who really wanted it to be how many states have you been to to visit like to actually go there to be there and the. Everybody else in the class or the other people in our group were like, that's too hard to describe. Let's just make it how many have you ever set foot in kind of thing. But she was like, no, I really I could just hear her. You know, I really want it to be how many times have you really been there? Okay, so you want to answer either way because really her team couldn't agree. Just even been there probably 35. Cool. Wow. How about you? You have a guess? I'm going to say like 10 Wow. 10? Yeah. Like to have even driven through? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, I flew to California. Okay. And probably added five West Coast states just on my honeymoon. But until then and since then, yeah, I hadn't been to the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of boring. You're not boring. You just My husband, <laughs> he's like lived in probably that many states. He was in 15 before he was a freshman in high school. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like spent considerable time probably closer to what you're, what you're talking about. Right. But, you know, I've gone up and down the East Coast. I've driven out to California. I've yeah. driven, you know. Oh, well, then all, I've driven go. several places on trips that you, you know, I drove through a bunch of states on the way. Yeah. But... 35 maybe high maybe it's 30 but yeah it's it's not too far off so so there's the point is that you want i mean the work of a statistician or anybody collecting data is to make sure that their question matches what they really want to know and and if you take out that part of the task for the kids they're not really getting the full experience of what 
yeah. it looks like in real life. So you want them to have that moment of like, oh, I've made this survey for my classmates and they're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Oh, stop. Let's have a discussion and be more specific. We had to come up with a question to ask our classmates. And it was so funny how each team, we worked in teams and each team thought that they had a really good question and then we would re- the other teams would receive the question and we'd all be like well but do you mean uh you know um ours was well one of the questions was like how many years have you taught well that's tricky because half of those people are coaches and so they didn't clarify are you th- talking about coaching are you talking <laughs> about just teaching you know we asked um something about your commute to work like how many miles is your – we didn't even do, like, time. We we thought about time, but we didn't do time because it depends on traffic. Somebody's going to say that. It depends on traffic. So we said, how many miles is your commute to work from your house to your school or something like that? So let the kids come up with the questions and, and be in that muddy part of it. Anything to add about that? No? I'm trying to think about how to make sure you guys are talking. It's not just the Tracy show here today. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the next big thing was the types of graphs available for your data once you collect your data. So there are, there's categorical data and numerical data. So categorical data is when your question gives answers as numbers. I'm sorry, as words most of the time. Okay. Okay. Who's got an example? What's your favorite pet? There you go. Okay. You got an example? That's a good one. Okay. Great. So what what are the we learned what are the graphs available if you collect categorical data? Bar graph. Yeah. Pictogram. Which is just a bar graph. Yeah. Pictograph. Pictogram. Yeah. Pictograph. Pictograph. There's one more, at least. Hmm. I'm going to give you hand signals. Ready? Oh, pie graph. Pie yeah. Yeah. Pie chart is also oh, okay. available oh, yeah. um, for a categorical. And we didn't do too much it with the categorical data because I feel like most people in our class right. probably got it. Right. Can you think of an example where categoric, where categorical data, the answer is actually a number? Is there ever categorical, categorical data where it's a number? What's your favorite number? Yeah. You got one? This is good. Okay. <laughs> Y'all are cracking me up. Um, because, and and the, the way that it's different. What's your address? There you go. Exactly. The way that it's different, what makes it categorical or what How makes it. How old are you? No, that's definitely numerical. Okay, fine. <laughs> because, because where the ranking of it doesn't matter. So it doesn't, it's not like if your house number is 417 and mine is 845, it's not like I'm any higher or better or whatever, bigger, because my number is bigger. Gotcha. If, if the ranking of the numbers hmm. doesn't have any meaning, then it's categorical data. The one I thought of is like team number, like you're on team one and I'm on team two. It's gotcha. not team two is faster or better. It's just the team. Although in your case, it probably is, Ruth. <laughs> yes, she would need to be on team one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so then, does that mean like reading groups, the bluebirds and the uh, sparrows? Yes. Are no. numerical mm. data? <laughs> Let's not even go there. <laughs> but yes. Um, well, no, I don't know. 
I'm not touching that with this okay. 10 foot pole. <laughs> All right. So numerical, what's available? What's available if we're, what graphs are available for numerical data? What you got, friends? All the rest. We'll be specific. <laughs> Histograms. Okay, a line graph, which would ha always have two two pieces of data attached to it, yeah. right? The data and over time or whatever. Right. Okay. Histogram, mm -hmm. right? Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. Explain a histogram because a histogram is not something I knew about, you know, several so years ago. So a histogram is a range of data, okay, where a histogram might be a good use a good way to display the data that you ask from your team. What is your commute to work? Okay. And you may have a certain amount of 20 minutes and a certain amount of 10 minutes and a certain amount of 60 minutes and be able to do a bar graph. But if you have data that's like 20 minutes, 22 minutes, 27 minutes, oh, yeah, then because you have so many different numerical numbers, you use a histogram to say between 20 and 30. Mm -hmm. So you're graphing the frequency within a range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So wow. here, did we lose you? I'm having a hard time because a histogram is also the graph of um, like exposure on an image when from phot the photography world. To me, histogram is shows you how bright a picture is across the different, the darkness and the, the different... Um, how much dark there is, how much bright there is, how much, <clears throat> how much, you know, mid tones there are, um, of, so a, of, are, a, of a digital image. Are those numbers? No, you don't see, all you see is a visual representation. You don't see numbers. You don't see, you just know that on the right hand side is the really bright and on the left hand side is the really dark. So if, if like the, it's like a, it's like, kind of like a mountain range in well, the it's chart. The same thing, then. Yeah, I know. I just have cool. never heard of it. I only know of it from the photography world and not from math world. And so, if all your stuff, all your little, you know, little pieces of of the mountain range I can think of is all the way up onto the right hand side, your picture is really bright. If it's all on the left hand side, then your picture is really dark, and you want it to be spread evenly across the the histogram. Dang, Gina, that is awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look at us with our real life. <laughs> um, that's so cool. I'm a little bit blown away. We should just mic drop and be done right there. <laughs> Don't you drop these mics. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. So, but but you could assign numbers to that. You yeah, know, no, it's like... definitely. I mean, when you when you... If you were editing an image, you can edit based on the histogram. You're just editing midtones, and you can see it. It'll, it'll like highlight the center section of the histogram, and you're editing these, or you're editing, you know, the the highlights, or you're editing the whites, and so, it'll huh, show you where on the histogram that is. Some middle school or high school teacher out there needs to know that. And you know how you're always like, what's my real life example for that? You're going to have to call Jay up and talk about or find some graphic expert out there and, and yeah. That's that's a cool, really cool real life application of that. Okay, histograms are also. I have two more things to say about it. Histograms are why we have to be obnoxious about bar graphs not touching a bar graph. The bars need to have space in between them, mm -hmm. and a histogram, they don't have space in between them because it's sort of indicating that like this range ends and the next range starts right there. You know. 
So, but can't bars also represent a range of – couldn't like you have a bar graph and this bar is ages 5 through 10 and this bar is ages 10 through 15 and it not be a histogram? I think that really is a histogram mm -hmm. because the because that's what a histogram looks like. A histogram really does look like a bar graph. But they're all smashed together. Yes. But they're touching and your – I mean, it doesn't have to be, but your x-axis label is a range of numbers. Gotcha. Underneath each one of those bars. Yeah. Um, where do you place a number? Like, let's say your ranges are 0 to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30. Where would you put 10? Do you know? I need, I need the first part again. 0 to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30. Like, your ranges are 10 10 incre like increments of 10 put it in the first one so you put it in the zero to 10 actually goes in the second one if really? it's on, that's what i was gonna say if it's oh really no. <laughs> if it's on the line it goes in the second one i did not know that kind of like rounding exactly yep yeah exactly the other thing is why don't they just say zero to nine and ten to nineteen because data could be discrete or continuous oh it could be between 19 and 20 yeah you know Ages aren't, but like yeah. other data could be. Gotcha. Right. Um, did you know, you know how like when you are going to make a bar graph and you're, or a line graph, whatever, and you're trying to think of what your Y axis increments are. And it's, I, I remember learning some kind of formula. Do you teach that? You don't even a teach. Formula? Yeah. No. I remember learning it, but generally in elementary school, it's like, try something count by ones or twos or fives or tens and see what works you know like if you you want to go up as far as you can on your available paper like that's really the strategy well there's an actual algorithm i promise i will not go through the whole thing but there's an actual algorithm oh, please do <laughs> you don't want me to i know already <laughs> of of figuring out what your histogram ranges should be we hmm. yeah we had a like we had three professors and one was a statistician and every time we get to something complicated, she'd take over and be the one teaching it. It was funny. Um, and there's an actual formula of take all your pieces of data and divide by this and blah, blah, blah. So I won't look it up if you, yeah, it's out there. But, but, but they, instead of, I think statisticians, instead of like having nice ranges like zero to 10 or zero to 25 or zero to a hundred, they will go with like a range of seven and, a, you know, they'd, they'd prefer that over these f friendly ranges. But that's the, you said the Y axis. So not the grouping. No, I just then I, 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 you switched I did switch. Okay. I'm I talking really about, I'm talking about the ranges on the X axis. Okay. I went from, you know, how on a bar graph, it's kind of trial and error. Now, okay. sorry, I wasn't clear. Talking back, moving back to the X axis. So is there a formula? Yeah. For the Y axis? Um, no. Okay. So it really is the same strategy. Just make it fit on your paper. Make it fit on your paper. And make it fit all the data. I guess. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say I'm not sure. Okay. But there is a formula for the making the ranges on the axis. Maybe you'll learn that in class tonight. <laughs> no, we've already moved on. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, so we've named histogram only. There's more. Can you think of other ways you would? Line try? graph, we said. Right? I was about to say you left mine out. Um, Line graph, sorry. My B. Scatter plot. Box and whisker. 
stem and leaf. Uh-huh. Yep. And the only other one is a lime lime plot, which Uh-oh. is different from what did you say? Scatter plot. Scatter plot. Scatter plot. Okay. So should we unpack these briefly? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a let's go with yours first, Jay. What's a scatter plot? It's a bunch of discrete points of data spread out on the on a graph. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not you're not it's you're not you're not connecting them yet. It's just like you've surveyed a bunch of people about you know how old they are and how many vehicles they've owned and Ooh, good. and you put each discrete point of data on the chart. That's a great one because we would assume that oh I like it. You're so good at this. That we would assume that your the older you are, the more cars you've owned, right? And so you would just go over on your x-axis to your age and then go up to your how many cars you've owned on the y-axis. I, we do these a lot in science. Like I felt like when we got to this point in the course, I kind of knew what was going on because we've I graph a lot of things in science as a, as a scatter plot. And then you look to see if there's any kind a of trend. trend. Exactly, yeah. And find your line of best fit. <clears throat> okay, I got something new to tell you. Oh, good. Did you know you could how to do a line of best fit on Desmos? Oh. Yeah. Okay. So if you go into Desmos. Desmos can do everything. It really can. Can it like make dinner? <laughs> can, it, can, it, can it guess your height and age? Um, okay. So maybe. Um, you can put in a table to put in points, right? You can just like click and get the – over on the left-hand side, you can get a XY table and put in your Xs and your Ys to plot your points. Okay. So then if you go, if you look at it and you think, oh, this is going to be – this is a linear function. Like these t- – like maybe your cars and age thing might roughly be a positive correlation, like going up like a hill. Um, so if you write in there Y equals MX plus B – like the format of your line, then it's going to plop up this line. I forget what orientation it is. I don't even think it's like, I don't think it's diagonal. I think it might be horizontal or something. But then then there's a little button that says something like, give me the sliders or give me the, I forget what the word is, but you want to click yes to both. And then it pops up a slider for your slope and for your y-intercept. And so you are moving it left to right to like, and then the line is adjusting. So you are physically finding the line of so best you're, fit. So you just visually find that, that line best fit. And then you have, does it deliver it, what the... Yeah, it tells you, like, if you've, you're, like, moving it left to right and it's going, moving, you know, up and down or whatever. Guys, you should really see this chicken wing thing she's <laughs> doing I'm here. trying to make sound effects so you understand what I'm doing. And then, um, oh, I got a brain fart. Uh, <laughs> oh, but then you can see what the slope is and what the y-intercept is of that particular line that you've like placed on there. So one of my classmates, Bailey, so I was like super proud of myself. All I did was Google it, but <laughs> we did that last night. But one of my classmates, Bailey, was like, there's some official way to do it with a tilde, which is the little squiggly like sign. Yeah. Explain it, Jay, because Ruth gave me the weird eye on the keyboards to the left of one okay like it means like this little squiggle did you call her a nerd at the beginning of this (gasps) because i think you just like stepped right over into that category (laughs) it's like it's like a little if you had in 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 and were you just making fun of her for using hand motions and you just (laughs) said it's like a little (laughs) it is if you in math you have the um 
you know, greater than, less than, equal to, or approximately equal to? What is the one that's... Yeah. It's like, oh. that's two tildes over top of each other. It's one. One of those squiggly of those. lines. I have never heard that word. Okay. Really? A huh. tilde? Yeah. That's like vinculum. No. no. It's <laughs> way, more, way more common than vinculum. Uh, okay. Anyway, Bailey said there was some way to use that and type it in and it would actually find the line of best fit for you. I couldn't get it to work last night, so call up Bailey or just well, Google she needs it. To be, uh, Bailey, you need to come on the podcast yeah. and explain <laughs> how to use She'll probably that. never hear this. Okay. So that was – oh, and and we should say that like in a scatter plot, you need to think about if you're going to draw that line. Are you just representing the trend or are you – you know, there's a lot of times that people put in a line and it's really not continuous data. Um, hmm. So you want to you want to make sure you're explaining what your line is representing. Does that make sense? Um, sometimes the line really makes sense and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. I didn't explain that well. Yeah. Okay. Um, how about a line plot? Yeah, I don't know the difference between a line plot and a line graph. So a line plot is where your x-axis has a set of numbers, 21, 22, 23, 24. And your question may have been, how many students are in your class? So if there are six classes with 21 students, then you would put six X's above the 21. Gotcha. Where a line graph shows change over time, over time. Gotcha. a line plot is, uh, you would use it instead of a stem and leaf plot if you had a lot of repetitive numbers. So a line plot, you could look at it and immediately know your mode. Because gotcha. okay. that line is the highest. And for me, a line plot is the hardest for sixth graders to find the mean, median, mode, and range. Ooh, talk about that. So it's really hard to do it without – maybe I'll draw this while I'm talking about it and we'll put it in the okay. show notes. So if you have 21, 22, 23, and 24 and you have your line plot – and so, well, maybe if I did two, three, four, and five. So let's do single digit numbers okay. and make this line plot. And then if I ask you to find would... the range, my students might say four minus two is two. Because instead of them thinking about this as four fours, they're thinking about this as the set of you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the range on this is really five minus two. So your range is really three. But when you look at your stacks. One stack has four in it. One stack, stack has, has two. two in it. Yeah. You said that was the hardest for them to find those things? They always seem to get it confused. Well, I can understand. Like the, to me, like the first thing you said was to find the mode would be easiest. And I think that is an easy thing to find. Mm -hmm. Except for this one, they might say the mode is two. Because there are two stacks of two. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. And so it really depends on, I think it goes back to the, did they make this question? Yeah. Or are they just interpreting someone else's question? And how many times do you put something like this on the board 
to practice mean, median, mode, range, and you don't give it any meaning. Mm-hmm. So there's numbers on the bottom, and then there's stacks of X's on the top. Yeah. So so what you just said, I'm so glad you did that, because what you just said is exactly what the cases touched on. That line plots were used a lot in here, and it, exactly what you touched on. Like, what does the X mean? And and then the ways that they misinterpret what that X means. Like, it was all over the book, like what and you just talked about. Which is... In my class, when we did, because I found that mistake, not because I had anticipated that mistake was coming, yeah, yeah. but it was really a day in class where I'm like, this is so easy. Why are you saying the mode is two? Like, I hadn't even thought that they would analyze yeah. it like that. Yeah. So when we began to write our answers in complete sentences, like, what does that really mean? So if this was the age of your siblings. Okay. Okay. And we're, we're looking from two to five. Right. Okay. The age of your siblings, then I would want you to write not just the mode age is four, but I would want you to say most of our siblings, more of our siblings are four than any other age. Mm-hmm. And you began to be able to correctly analyze the data. I didn't have any other way, you know, mm-hmm. short of writing the little algorithm on their desk and yeah. saying, look for the tallest line of X's yeah. because I really wanted them to understand the data. To go back to that, if you made a class one and each person actually put their own X up there, so they are physically that is my ex. adding it. That might help, mm-hmm. you know, that. Okay, let me tell you what the book said about this. They, the teachers in here, found that, yes, they could do some analyzing of this graph, but the real meat of it came, like the real learning of the mode, median, all that stuff, came when there were two graphs side by side that they were comparing. Really? That's when they were like, the light bulbs went off. And the example that they used was so cool. How many teeth have you lost? And they went to a kindergarten class and they went to a first grade class and they collected data from all these different classes. And then you can start to think about what that graph's going to look like comparing a kindergarten class and a first grade class. Think about how cool that is. Well, Tracy, think about the activity that you and I did across grade levels from fourth grade to sixth grade. explain that. That was so cool. It was using Tuva Labs, which we'll put in our show notes. I hope it It still still, exists. I still get emails from them. There's parts of it that are still free. Okay. Yeah. You can spell it for free. T-U-V-A. Tuva Labs. Yeah. So you, you go to Tuva Labs, and I've done it every year since then, but it has not been as good. And so... I'll explain why. We created a all about us. How long, how do you get to school? Um, how many pets do you have? How many siblings do you have? What's the circumference of your head? How many Unifix cubes can you pick up with one hand? How long does it take you to complete this puzzle? And so her students as fourth graders were answering all the same questions as my students as sixth graders. And then in Tuva Lab, you get to enter the data. So Tracy and I did that in a, actually, 
she got really techy on me. And we had the students fill out a Google form with all of their answers, which then turned it into Google Sheets. Yeah. And then we downloaded that CSV file into two Man, labs. we are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so now I have my sixth graders in the computer lab looking at just dots all over the screen. Yeah. And each dot represents a student. But then that program allows you to look at just school. So you could drag school to the x-axis and all the dots would move into two bars Mm -hmm. and you would be able to see how many students at RS Payne and how many students at LCA enter data. And then you could add siblings. Mm -hmm. And there was so much good discussion because they had something to compare. And Tuva Lab allowed you to compare whatever you wanted to. Right. Sometimes it wasn't comparing your school to my school. It was comparing the number of um, siblings you have compared to the number of pets you have. (laughs) And we looked at the relationship of (laughs) why the kids with lots of why the families with lots of kids didn't have very many pets. (laughs) Or like height to head circumference. Yeah, we talked about, well, we had them measure. (laughs) Why are you laughing? From their waist to the ground and then their height. And we saw this correlation between that. And then, and it was considerably different. The average was in sixth grade than it was in fourth grade. Okay. So then I remember having this discussion. What do you think we're going to see about the average head circumference? And we found out that the average head circumference was the same and even adults because mm-hmm. 20 to 23 inches is your head circumference range. Except if you're Jay Prophet. Oh. I was going to say, you got a measuring table. I want to see how big my head is. <laughs> you could have been an outlier. Yeah. I, yeah. I was thinking, does it mean tall people got great old big heads? No, it doesn't. It's, yeah. It, yeah. I didn't think it. Yeah. That, but yeah. I was wondering. It's not, there's really not a correlation mm-hmm. once you get to a certain age. I think right? it correlates to how big your brain is. And how, how, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or whether you measured with centimeters instead of inches. <laughs> so that we did, I just, I, as you were talking about it, I remembered we have talked about this before on our technology episode, but we didn't go into great detail about why it was so good. But uh, that, that makes so much sense now. Why it was such a good task is because we were comparing and and so much, they notice so much more from the comparing two sets of data. We should do that again somehow, Ruth. We should. I. But see now, what I'm thinking is when we did one of these line plots, I did how high can you jump? So I gave everyone a post-it note. Okay. And you put it in the palm of your hand, and you stood on the specific spot, and you jumped and stuck ah. it to the wall, and then you and a friend measured. How high you got your post-it note. Cool. But what if I took that data and I just compared second period class to third period class? Or if I compared the boys to the girls? Or if I gave them, like you said, something to compare rather than... Or have them do it and then wonder and form the question. Like, have them make up the questions. You know? Yeah. And wonder if they're... Like if we looked at the difference between students who were between five foot two 
and six foot and students mm-hmm. who were smaller than five foot two and looked at their data and yeah. we were really able to see yeah. a difference. Or just, a, you know, like a scatter plot height versus jumping height. But, and this is another thing, what you were talking earlier about, make sure you're, you know, um, you know about the, how many states, like what, what are you really trying to collect? Because if, if you do it the way you said, and it's how high can you jump, you are measuring how, high off the ground they can get their hand which is going to make a lot of difference from me to you like if you were to try to smack that you know post-it note on the wall i would be able to get it considerably higher because i'm taller than you but you may be jumping off the ground just as much as i am which which is kind of the discussion you'd hope they'd land on mm-hmm. right i right. think that's exactly and then if you see if you make that trend line and you see somebody down at the bottom who's way off of the trend line then that's the kid who can like jump awesome right you know if they yeah. if they're short but then they're high up off the that average line but you know if you're short and you hit the same height as a taller person, that means you jumped a lot higher. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That would be really cool. And so, because because so, you you it's like you do you want to know how high they can jump off the ground or how high on the wall they can reach? Yeah. What were you gonna say? I just had to send an email at the end of that lesson because one of my sweet friends tried to jump and smack it, and he just jumped right into the wall. Like, hit his head on the wall, <laughs> hit the floor. He was giving all he had. He had a run to start. One of those, like, unintended consequences of this great lesson. And his mom is laughing the way you're laughing right now. She's like, yeah, coordination's not one of his things. He'll be okay. That's what, that's pretty much what I did when Adley, um, Oh, sorry, Adley. When Adley was learning about Helen Keller and decided on the, on the, playground she was gonna close her eyes and run and ran right into a tree and had to get stitches on her eyebrow <laughs> i was like is she okay yes okay then ha 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 <laughs> oh jay had to be dad because he was at the school and had to see all the blood and take her to the emergency say, it, room it took a while before we got to the part of the story where what were you doing because they were running around not only was she had her eyes closed she was running like hand in hand with somebody else who was supposed to be leading her <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? What were you doing? We were playing Helen Keller. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's check our, let's do a time check. Uh, we have not even begun to, to talk about all the things I learned, guys. Um, so I'm trying to figure this out what's. so exciting. We may need a second episode. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, okay. Give me just a second to look at what. So these next two things that I'm going to share are certainly not something that I would do in fourth grade. You may or may not do them in in sixth grade, but it was just cool to know. So did you know with a stem and leaf plot that there's something called, and well, maybe we should talk about what an extended, what a stem and leaf plot is. Can you say, can you give a quick, like catch somebody up? If remember how you were so scared of stem and leaf plots, (laughs) we have talked about it a lot. (laughs) So a stem and leaf plot is a set of numerical data that you find the common stem. So most commonly it's your tens and your ones. It can be decimals. It can be however you want to, but 
so you would have your stem of two, three, four, five, six, and that would really represent everything in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. Okay. And then your leaves are each of those individual pieces of data. So you might have a 22 and a 23 and two 24s, and so your leaf would say two and then three and then four and then four. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything that is a 20 is all on one horizontal line. Correct. Yeah. So it's it, – and – are they always numerically in order? Do you represent them in order? Always in order. So that all the twos are always going to be, mm-hmm. you know, 22s are going to be here and the 23s are here. And the, okay. And yeah. if you have a set of data that starts with the 20s and ends with the 60s, but even if you don't have any 30s in your data, you still put the stem you there. You still have to put that stem of a three. So your, um, the vertical line of your stems doesn't skip any numbers and it can start anywhere. And then each of your leaves have to be in numerical order. Gotcha. Yeah. That was really good. Thank you. So our professor, again, a statistician, um, said that ideally a, a stem and leaf plot needs six to 10 stem, no, six to 20 stems. And we were all like, what? That's not how we've seen it, but, that's you know from the statistician's point of view not the elementary school teacher's point of view six to six to 20 and we're like well this data that we have can't do that we can't make 20 stems so she taught us that you can have an extended stem and leaf plot which is where you can break up your stems into chunks so you might have in that one you just did you might have your stems, instead of saying two, three, four, five, they might say two and then another two and then a three and then another three and then a four and then another four. And on your first row of twos, you'd put everything from 20 to 24. And on your second row, you'd put all your 25s to 29s. And it Hmm. would draw attention to in your 20s, are there more low 20s or high 20s? And then we had some even more data that was all chunked together and, and I hope you're getting the idea that you need lots of pieces of data for this to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when we do it in class, we do it with a small amount because we just want it to be manageable. Statisticians use this when there's a lot of pieces of data is what I was gathering from her. But Statisticians like a lot of data in general because right. if you the more data you have, the more representative it can be. That was a big idea from our class. Fist bump. Love it. Okay. So um, so they she even did one that was like um, – in twos, she would go two, 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 so that each one was just like twenty tw- to twenty-two, yeah, or twenty to twenty-one, twenty-two to twenty-three, and and you could put like a, just a two and then a dot for all of the other twos below it, and then the three and then four dots to represent the little slots where it should be. It was really cool. So. Go ahead. Are you going to say something? I am just thinking about the stem and leaf plot activity that we do in class. Yeah, and. How one, like their height, right? Yeah. So that activity that we do in class is where they walk around and they drop just a number in the bucket and they... To represent themselves. To represent themselves. And it's an answer to a question. And then you give the data to the different groups and they put it in a stem and leaf plot. And then they have to analyze and figure out what question their data answered. But the stem and leaf plot that's the hardest for them to make is the height because everyone is in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. 
So if you showed them that they could do 50 dot, 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 60 dot, 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 then that data would be even better organized instead of this. Like it's a great activity, but every time yeah. the fifties and sixties, the similes like two pieces of paper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Long. Yeah. Um, and and I was thinking about how you might not you might let them make that obnoxiously long, wide one, but then you might say, "Look at this," and put up the stimuli plot that you've made of that data and see if they can figure the out extended stimuli. Put up plot. the and see if they can just figure out what it means. Certainly, they can, and they would probably go, "Oh, that I see why that's better." You know, instead of like, "Let me teach you how to do it." Here it is, and can they make the connections? But from one to the other, oh, that was cool. So maybe you will use that, Ruth. Yeah. Okay, the other one is in a box. Let's talk real fast about a box and whisker. I promise this is where I'll start. Stop, <laughs> not start. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> um, can, do you want to? Can you explain box and whisker? I can explain box and whisker because okay. I learn a little bit more each time I teach it. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you know what this is? I do. Okay, you have a set of data, um, and you're going to analyze that data. And then display what you analyzed. So it's not displaying every piece of data that you've collected. So for a box and whisker plot, you may have a set of data that starts with two and you have some repetitive twos all the way to, let's just say, 10. Okay. So you're going to find the median and identify that. And then you're going to find the lower quartile, which is the median of the lower half of your data. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to find the upper quartile, which is the median of your upper half. And so when you look at those identified numbers, you have created four different sections, and those are your quartiles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to take that and you're going to create um, x-axis. It can be a y-axis too, but... You cr- Typically, it's an x-axis. You're going to create an x-axis, and you're going to identify the lowest number and the highest number with dots. Yep. And then your upper quartile and your lower quartile and your median are represented with lines, and then you connect those lines and create a box. Yeah. And so the purpose of it is to see how many pieces of data or the majority of the data were in this quartile and you can do that by how close those quartiles are yeah you got any questions jay did we lose you no 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 no. i just i didn't i guess i didn't realize the center line was the median did you think it was the mean i did i wasn't sure when we started when we started this in class yeah yeah but it's it's all. I knew, based on... I knew how the rest of how it breaks up the the data into the into the quartiles and the and the ends and the the stuff. But I I I didn't know what that center line was for. I lied. I have two things I have to say about box and whisker, not just one. Did you know that there's a formula for figuring out the position of the median in in a big group of data? No. I, but I'm not at all surprised that there is. Could you share it with us? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Good segue there, JJ. Um, wait, how do, you, how do you say how you usually find it? How, did you, how do you usually teach your kids how to find where the median is in a set of data? So you just count how many pieces of data there are and you divide it by two. And if there's a remainder, then it's your answer plus one. So if I have 
13 pieces of data. When I divide that by two, it's six, but I have one left over. So I want six on both sides and the one in the middle okay. is my median. Okay. So the formula that we were told, which by the way, I wished we had discovered and not, we're just like handed it on a plate, but you know, in a three week class, we had to be handed some things. I know. Um, is N plus one where N is the number of pieces of data mm-hmm. and then divide that N plus one by two. So if you like do some examples. With okay. Yours. So if I have 14 pieces of data, then I'm going to say 14 plus one is 15 and 15 divided by two is seven and a half. So it's between the seven and the eight. Yes. Yeah. You want the, you want the number that's between the seventh and the eighth in the position or position. But then if it's an, so if odd, I have if an even number, 21 pieces yeah, of data, odd number. Yeah. Then plus one is 22. And so I want my 11th yeah. piece of data. Yeah. Which, you know, all the teachers in the room were like, just put your finger on the end and work your way towards the middle. Somebody said ping pong or, you know, like they had funny names for it. But the statistician was like, yeah, but when you're working with humongous pieces of data. Well, if you have 17,000 data points, right. you can't be. Yeah. It was really helpful. It was cool. Ping pong it. Ping pong it. Um. So that was something new that I learned. Okay, the last thing that I'm going to say is there's a – you know how we – when we're looking at data, we're like, oh, this is probably an outlier. And I remember learning in, in, in stats in college that there was a way to actually find out if it was an outlier, but I couldn't remember. Well, Like the size of Jay's head would be an outlier? Yeah. Yes. Or if you just don't want to use that piece of data. <laughs> right, exactly. You think somebody lied. <laughs> it, it makes it way too complicated, so yeah. we're going to say that's yeah. an outlier. So – <laughs> If the data is one and a half times the inner quartile range away from <sighs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I was getting it. Oh sorry. <laughs> okay. The inner quartile range, the IQR, is the the distance between quartile one and quartile two. So it's how long your box is. Exactly. Okay. Okay. If or half your box. No, your no. whole box. Your lower quartile and your upper quartile is your box, and the median is just the line in the middle. Gotcha. Your inner quartile range is the length of the whole okay, thing. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so if a piece of data is one more than one and a half times the inner quartile range away from quartile one or quartile three, then it's a, um outlier. So visually, if you think about take your, bo- take your box – and make it one and a half times as big, and then kind of restart it over at the quartile three spot. If you've got a piece of data that falls outside of that, then it's officially. Wow, that sounds that sounds like to be an outlier. It's got to be even further away than I was thinking. Hmm. Like I would, I would have, I would have called things an outlier before that. Okay. Yeah. What do you think about that, Ruth? Are you, is it making sense? Hmm. I'm, She's drawing. I'm one of these. drawing this box and thinking about one and a half times. So I'm wondering if my whisker is more than one and a half times as long as my box. You've got some outliers on that whisker. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Then well, you've got to because I, you I won't have data. That whisker is going to be the. Because there's as many pieces of data 
from here, from the end of this whisker to this box as there is in this section. Right. So that's why it's an outlier because you mm -hmm. have to draw that whisker all the way out mm -hmm. there. Right. But And so what we did when if we found out there were outliers is that we stopped the the whisker stopped at the last piece of data before that outlier spot. Okay. And you stop the whisker and then you just put dots out there to represent your outliers. <coughs> so it doesn't. So outliers aren't even on the whisker. Right. They're their own dots because, mm. and that draws your attention to it. Hmm. Yeah. So that was really cool. So yeah. that's how you could say, oh, that's, that really is based on this. I'm sure there are other ways to, Ca more complicated ways to calculate if something's an outlier that we are not going to cover here today before breakfast. Yes. Okay. There was a lot more I have on my thing. Um, but maybe we'll do part two next week. <laughs> are we out of time? We are way out of time, actually. Okay. Yes. That is crazy. Yeah. This was super fun. Really? Yeah. Yes. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> Jay was thinking it was going to be awful. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we will do. I know that our very next episode, I'm so excited to welcome my friend Holly to talk about her research into fraction number talks. Um, and we're going to, this is going to be a little special episode, but can we come back to this guys? Please do. Yes. <laughs> okay, great. What's your takeaway? Quick. <laughs> so I'm not late to work on my fourth day. I just think it's super cool to learn math. And we just talked about that in the last episode. Yeah. How teachers have to learn math too. And we just sat here today and learned math. Yeah. Thanks. What's your takeaway, JJ? I learned something about box and whisker things. <laughs> I <can> tell. <laughs> like I, I mean, I knew what they represented, but represented. Like I can look at it and get a rough idea what the data, yeah. how it's representing the data, but I didn't know the specifics. Yeah. My takeaway is your sweet um, histogram with the with the picture. Dang, that was awesome. Yeah. I'm, you're going to have to show me that. Okay. Okay. And maybe we'll – can we make something and put it on the show notes? Uh, I think we can probably manage that. Okay, great. All right. This has been so fun. Time to go to work. See you on a run um, Monday. All right. All right. Bye.